listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have CEO of Momentous Sports Medicine, Tim Vidal. Tim, welcome in. Hey, thanks for having me, Chase. Happy to be here. All right. So I actually met you briefly at CSM this past year or 2022 um, at the uh, Many Faces of Sports PT talk. And, uh, you know, I heard your story and, you know, that type of story is kind of exactly what we want to have on this podcast, you know, have a very different and unique perspective on sports PT. Um, you know, kind of give us a little bit of background about you, Can, where you grew up and what got you into PT in the first place. Yeah, well, I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio. I uh, grew up there as a four-sport athlete in high school. Um, so sports has always been a common theme in my life. Uh, I made the decision or came to the, the the idea that I'd become a physical therapist when I was 13 years old. Like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, my thought was I was either going to go pro in sports or I was going to do something that kept me close to sports because I had to keep sports in my life in order to be happy. And um, PT was the, the rock for that for me. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be, be a college athlete. And um, then when I was in college, you know, it was on a, the pre-physical therapy track and continued on that path all the way to PT. So um, just kind of followed through with what my idea was at, uh, at 13 years old. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, when you went to PT school, uh, you know, did you kind of get into sports immediately or kind of what was your journey after PT school? Uh, after PT, it was, after yeah, the very, the very, the very first job I took was actually a sports job. Um, it was a sports clinic here in, in uh, DC and, um, the, that particular clinic had relationships with some NFL teams that when some of their players were in this area, they would send them into that clinic. So I had the opportunity to, to, to work with some guys that way. And then, um, the head trainer for the Washington mystics at the time was also on staff at this clinic. Um, so we had some of that access as well. So that really attracted me to that particular job, even though it was a clinic job, because I got so much access to athletes and was able to work with people of that caliber. So, um, essentially I did, I was able to get right into sports and have some, um, some sports experience. Right. And so, you know, you said you worked in a outpatient clinic and then I also, from your talk and then also doing a little bit of research on you, I saw that you did a fellowship, um, kind of talk to your Talk to us a little bit about your experience um, and what your fellowship in was exactly. Yeah, so the fellowship I took was way later after graduation, and that was um, it's a manual therapy fellowship, so AOPT, uh, you know, American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Um, so that's what the fellowship was in, and I, I did it through the Institute for Athlete Regeneration, specifically because they're the only AOPT fellowship that focuses on sports. So um, it's a two-year fellowship. It um, in the first year. You get a uh, you know certified sports of manual um, manual therapy uh, certification, um, and it it ties a lot of the manual work that we do as physical therapists into sports and give you advanced levels of of you know treatment knowledge. Um, so that was really cool. And then in the second year, we do a lot more of the that like more advanced manual things, and then into the uh, more practical and the mentorship phase of it where you spend 150 hours with a mentor, um, somebody that's already a fellow 
to not only practice those you know techniques that you learn, but also upgrade your level of um, critical thinking when approaching uh, you know an athlete or a patient with um, you know with different uh, dysfunctions and being able to apply the knowledge that we learned. So it was really it was really good. Um, I learned a lot. Um, even though it was later, a little bit later in my career than most people do a fellowship. Um, but definitely glad I did it. Right. And you mentioned, like you said, that it was later on in your career. What what kind of, I guess, sparked the idea that you wanted to go back and do a fellowship? Because you probably had been practicing for a while at that point. Um, so what made you say, okay, I want to go back and you know keep furthering my skills? Was there anything in particular? Um, well, typically, well, historically, I should say, um, for this type of fellowship, it, it tends to be later in your career, but because it is um, sports-based and it, and it attracts a lot of people younger in their career, it, it, it has started to shift that trend more. So um, it, it was, I guess, when I came out of school, it was more normal for somebody at the point in my career to go back and do a fellowship um, of that type at that point in time. Um, whereas I think now that has kind of trended to be a little bit earlier in people's careers. So... Uh, I don't think it was anything, any one thing in particular, because I, I'm still, you know, a, a lifelong student, still always, you know, interested in learning. And that was always something that I, I looked at doing because I wanted to become, um, you know, what they call a PT ninja, uh, being able to, you know, really assess and, and treat at a higher level. Um, so it was something that I was always interested in doing. And it was just the right time for me at that point. And I want to clarify, like, this is a, let me clarify this too, though. It's, it's a little different from like a, a, a fellowship that you might do after a residency because it's uh, like a deeper, like more manual thing where, you know, now you see people go into a residency right after graduation and then they might typically go into a fellowship. Um, this was a little different from that uh, just because it's not specific, like a, like a D1 sports fellowship or, uh, you know, neurological fellowship or something like that. Um, this, this was a little different. So I, I wanted to clarify that. Right. And so what, what were some of those ways that it was different than your, your typical D1 or like you said, neuro fellowships? So <clears throat> those are completely immersive where like essentially you take a job at, you know, whatever institution and you go there and that's your job for the next year or, or 16 months or what have you. Um, and you're, you're you become part of the fabric of of that institution. Like you're there every day treating patients, you're teaching courses, you're uh, mentoring residents, you're doing a lot more of that, and that's your job. Whereas with this fellowship that I did, it was um, it wasn't immersive in that way uh, because I still lived here in D.C. and I worked my regular job, ran you know ran my company, and I would travel to Houston, um, you know like a one week in a month and take the courses. And, you know, then I would go back and, you know, take the exams. And um, then I had to find a mentor locally. So it was, it was a different type of experience. It wasn't that same kind of, all right, I'm coming here and this is my life of learning for the next year. This was more so, um, you know, you definitely got the, the learning component, but it was like a continual adjunctive thing to what you were already doing your day to day. Right. Um, so I saw that on top of your fellowship. And one of the, I think, things that, you know, surprised me the most at hearing your talk was that you also, you know, did your MBA. Uh, kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, why you decided to go back and get your MBA um, and then kind of, you know, a little bit more about it. 
Okay. Um, so back in 2014, um, I opened, you know, I opened my first clinic um, and I learned that I didn't know anything about business <laughs> at that point. And, you know, th when you when you start, a, when you think about starting a practice, there's a lot that goes into that that people don't talk to you about, you know, from the physical therapist perspective. You know, you hear a lot about, oh, well, you know, you're going to have to get referral sources and you're going to how long do you want to treat patients for? And, you know, what kind of clinic do you want it to be? What kind of treatments do you want to give? And, and we think along those lines, as opposed to, you know, when you want to open a clinic, first you have to find a space. So you become a realtor. Right. And then when you find that space, then you have to negotiate how, you know, what, what terms you want, how long you want your lease to be. So then you become you know, uh, a real estate agent and, and an attorney to type kind of to, to negotiate that. Right. And then you get into the space and you're like, OK, well, I need this space to be functional for what I do. So then you become somewhat of a contractor because you have to like conceptualize this stuff and then talk to them. Right. And you do all this before you treat your first patient. Right. And then you get your doors open. You're like, OK, how's somebody going to pay me? All right. So now you have to do research on finding payment systems. All right. And, you know, using an EMR and how do those interplay? So you become an IT person and a finance person. Right. And all of that, again, before you treat your first patient. Right. And nobody talks to you about that stuff. Nobody teaches you that. Right. And then when you once you open your door, you start treating patients. Now you have to keep the business going. How do you do that? How do you treat patients while simultaneously making sure that there's more patients coming in the door? Right. So now you become a marketer. Right? And there's so much of that. And other nuances that have that go into running a company that we don't learn as physical therapists. And I bumped my head a lot, you know, in those first few years of, of you know, running that office. And um, that made me think the guy that was the, the CEO of that company that was the investor, uh, he was an MBA. And, you know, I consider myself a pretty smart guy. And, and when I talked to him, you know, I felt dwarfed <laughs> intellectually because the guy was so smart. And, uh, you know, that really made me think like, well, shoot, if this guy's an MBA and, you know, he thinks like this, like, you know, maybe I need to go and do that too. <laughs> you know, so between me bumping my head, you know, running an office and, and like learning from this guy, I was like, you know, this is something I really need to take a look at. The, the other part of it was that, you know, being, and this is probably going to one of your later questions as well, is um, one, I, w I was really debating the idea of going back and getting an AT degree because it's a sports PT what I found that one of the biggest barriers for me getting into the jobs that I wanted was that I wasn't dual credential. I wasn't PTAT. And I wanted to remove that as a barrier. So I was really considering going back and getting an AT degree. So then it became, do I go back to school and get athletic training or do I go back to school and get an MBA? So I really had, uh, for probably for about a year, I wrestled with this and talked to different people and tried to seek guidance on it. Um, but what it came down to for me was that I would only be going back to get an AT degree to get a job, right? And the AT degree to me was duplicitous with what, what, what knowledge I already had as a sports PT. Um, <clears throat> there are some things, of course, that an AT does that, you know, we don't learn in PT school or that, you know, we, we, we're not like readily equipped to do. Um, but by and large, um, there's a lot of overlap and I know a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I was already exposed to and did from being around and in sports and working as a PT already. Um, whereas with an MBA, this was a completely different avenue and um, a 
completely different way of thinking and um, a different set of people I would get to meet and different things that I would be exposed to. And on the other side of it, it really opened way more doors for me um, than this AT degree would. And it would take me less time to get to the MBA than it would for me to get to the AT. Um, and I think I could still do it in sports without going, going to get that AT degree. So ultimately it came down for me to go ahead and get that MBA. And I think I made the right decision thus far as this paid off. And I was still able to get, you know, get the opportunities and jobs I wanted without going back and getting that AT degree. Right. Um, and so that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, you had that, that wrestle of your, and that decision to make, you know, where, where you wanted to go back to. Um, and then you eventually uh, made it to pro sports. So kind of talk to us a little bit about your time with twins. That was a fun time, man. Um, the most interesting thing about that is that I've, I've never been a baseball fan <laughs> like my whole life. Um, you know, like growing up, baseball season was the same as track season. So like I, I paid attention to track and I, you know, I, I ran track in high school and I went to college for track. So like baseball was never something I never played as a kid. So, you know, it, it wasn't something that I really paid attention to. But, um, you know, it was just ironic that that's where my first pro sports opportunity came. And it wasn't until I started working with the twins that I realized, like, man, I don't even know how to throw a baseball. Like, I could throw a ball, but I didn't even know you held it differently. You know, um, but here I was working with, you know, pro baseball players. So it was a very steep learning curve once I got there um, as far as like baseball, um, baseball specific things and I guess baseball culture. Um, but, you know, a, a great experience. I learned a lot um, and I was able to contribute a lot while I was there. So you know, overall, I think it, it was really, really good. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun working with the athletes. And, you know, there was, there's other things that go along with working in pro sports that you don't hear about as often um, that, you know, made a job not as fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, overall, I think it was net positive. Right. Um, and so you being a non-baseball player and going to work in baseball, uh, what were some of the things that you did to kind of make sure that you're rehabbing these athletes to be able to, you know, throw a ball 100 miles an hour when you yourself, you know, didn't know the difference between certain types of pitches and that you held the ball a certain different way. Well, that was that was a good thing that I went in there knowing the body and a knowing PT and knowing how the body should move. So um, one of the things we had was a, uh, a rehab pitching coach. So I talked a lot to him about like, what the mechanics of pitching should look like, what movements should look like and have him demonstrate. And, and I'm assessing all of it. Like, all right, where's the hip? Where's the knee? Where's the scapula? How's the core engaged? You know, how's the body turned? And I'm assessing all of that, like every day as we're having these conversations and having him demonstrate things. Um, and then comparing that to, you know, what I see pitchers do, what, what the players do. Um, and then we watch film, you know, we did a lot of that. Um, so, it, like I said, it was a very steep learning curve, but because I had a, a pretty good basis of like what the body should do and how the body should move and, and how to treat injuries, um, it, it it helped a lot. So it was just really bridging that that gap, which which turned out to not be that big because there's a lot of crossover in rotational sports that you know I had worked in. So um, so I, I was okay. <laughs> Right. Uh, so I want to go a little bit more into your, your time as a teacher. Uh, so you were both an adjunct, I think, adjunct uh, professor for both Howard and Tulane. So kind of talk to us about, you know, how that came to be and, you know, a little bit about your time at each. Yeah, well, I was actually a full time professor at Howard um, okay. and I was an adjunct at Tulane. Um, so I 
I first reached out to Howard to like be an anatomy lab assistant. <laughs> and um, like, I didn't hear anything back for like a super long time. And then like that next summer, uh, the director of the program reached out to me and said, hey, um, you know, a muscular professor is leaving. Uh, would you be interested in, you know, helping out with this course? And I was like, not what I had in mind, but okay. Because I mean, at this point, I'm only a few years out of school. And I'm like, yeah, you know, anatomy would have been easy, but you want me to like teach muscular? No, okay. All right. So, um, so I went in and, you know, I talked to her and it turns out that she wanted me to teach the whole course, like not help out with it, <laughs> but teach the whole course. <laughs> so I was like, okay, all right, this is a different challenge. Um, but, you know, I took it on and, um, and that was fun. I ended up being there for four years, four and a half years. I uh, know four years. Um, and, you know, it, it, it started that first year as an adjunct position. And once I realized like what went into actually running an entire course, um, especially one as important as muscular, like we had to go back to the table of like how much time this is taking me. So they ended up bringing me on full time. Um, and then I taught muscular for the next three years. Uh, you know, great experience. I, I really enjoyed teaching. I really enjoyed connecting with students. Um, especially at that time, I was um, you know pretty young in my career. So the students were just, you know, a little younger than me, some my age. And then I had a couple that were older than me. Um, so there was a, a lot of relatability and, and a lot of understanding their position. Um, because you know the majority of the other professors in the in the program were a little bit more seasoned in their in their careers and a little bit for, further removed from being a student, um, so some of that relatability wasn't wasn't there as much. Um, so like me being you know kind of close to them uh, was really helpful, and I think it helped for me to translate and, and use some references that they would understand <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when teaching. So uh, so that was re- that was really cool, man. I really enjoyed that. Um, and it, it also made me a better PT because when you go through having to teach techniques to somebody that doesn't know anything, it makes you really think about, all right, what am I doing? Because when we, when we get into our careers, we, you know, it's second nature. Like you put your hands like this, you do a manip or, you know, you do a, a special test this way and you don't even really think about it anymore. You just do it. Um, but when you, you know, do allotments and you know what your infield is supposed to feel like and you're trying to teach that to somebody that has no idea what an ACL really is, um, you you have to slow that down and teach hand placement and teach feel and teach hand pressure and how to relax your hands. And and that that really made me a better PT. So, um, you know, I, I would recommend, you know, teaching or at least being a lab assistant to, to anybody to um, really make sure you, you up your basic level of skills and also up your, your understanding of the skills that you learn. Because when you have to explain it, um, you have to analytically think about what it is that you're doing. And, and that helps, you know, that helps you really use that when you're treating patients, because now you remember exactly what you were learning all those years ago and how to apply that at a different level when you have to teach it. Yeah, I always think that uh, teaching is one of the best ways to learn. Because uh, if you can teach it to somebody, that means you actually know it for real. And you're not just, you don't just, you know, it's not written memorization. It's like you completely understand it. Um, and so as you're teaching, what is one of the, I'll ask a two-part question. What is one of the most difficult parts of teaching that you didn't expect? And then um, what are some characteristics of, you know, good PT students that you saw? Because a lot of our, um, you know, I'm sure the audience is, is PT students. Um, so what are some things that you saw in PT students that are like, okay, this person's going to do well and succeed? Um, you know, outside of the classroom, you know, into the clinic and wherever else they go in their career? Um, I think the the most common characteristic I saw was, was the drive. 
you know, because you have a lot of people that work hard, that study hard, that might not perform as well as they want to on exams. And I don't think exams are always, well, I say always, but shoot, almost never, <laughs> like the best indicator of, um, you know, how good of a clinician somebody's going to be. Because a, a sit down, written pen and paper test or a computer test is not the job we do, you know. Like our job is very hands-on and very analytical. And the way the test questions are written are sometimes to trip you up. You know, when a patient, a real patient comes in, um, they're not trying to trip you up. They're trying to get to the solution as bad as you are because they're in pain, right? And, you know, they're not giving you, you know, uh, an insurance question with, you know, all this, all this musculoskeletal fluff, you know, they're there for the musculoskeletal problem, you know? So it, it's, um, I would say that that characteristic is drive, like whether they perform well or, or, you know, mediocre on exams, um, the students that, you know, put the time in that took the effort to come talk to me, that asked for the extra time of how do you put your hands? How do you, how do you perform this assessment? Like, why are we doing this? Um, I think those students always fared better, um, in the long run. And the other thing was, um, was personality, man. Like if uh, we're in a profession of working with people and having to be around people and engage people and the students that were more open to each other and more open to learning from each other and engaging, um, I also found to be a lot you know, do a lot better. And that's not to say that if you're an introvert, you're going to be bad at this job. But even what I'm talking about is the willingness to do that. You know, um, you might not like to talk to people. You might not like to be around people. But if while you're doing your job or while you're in school, you're able to engage in a way that is, uh, you know, easily received by other people uh, that that tended to bode well for for a lot of students as well. Right. Um, and so what was the most challenging like aspects of, of teaching for you? Cause you know, you said you kind of were looking to be a lab assistant and all of a sudden you were thrust into a full-time, I would dare say one of the most important courses in PT school. What was like one of the hardest things for you? Um, I want to answer that question in two ways. Cause early on the hardest part was putting together the lectures because what you haven't taught before to go in and teach a three hour course on muscular, <laughs> like that takes a lot of effort to put together uh, a lecture and slides and, um, and have that be coherent and tied together into what the whole semester is supposed to look like. So in my first year, I had a lot of late nights, um, putting, you know, lecture slides together because that was, it was, it wasn't something I'd done before. And it wasn't something that anybody had prepared me for like I never had a teaching mentor or anything like that come and say all right this is how you structure a course or anything like that right um so I was really learning on the fly uh so probably the first year that was the most difficult um after that I think it would like as I got later on into it students that you really really rooted for that just didn't make it you know, the, that would probably be the next hardest thing because you see the, the work that people put in and the time and the financial resources they put in. Um, and it just didn't click for some people and they weren't able to make, you know, cut the mustard. And and that's always, a you know, a sad thing to see. Yeah. 
um, those are, you know, two situations that, you know, one, never being a teacher myself, uh, I'm sure I could see on the first one, how not having any sort of teaching experience that can be really difficult. But you know, from your from your other point, um, you know, there's a lot of people that work really hard in PT school. And, uh, you know, you want to see them succeed. And sometimes it's, it's sad to see when that doesn't happen. Um, so I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about your time. I saw on LinkedIn that you're the PT for USA softball. So kind of tell us a little bit more about, you know, how that came to be and kind of a little bit about your role there. Yeah. So back in, what was that? 2014, same year I started, started my clinic. Um, I had an opportunity to go out and do a, uh, I guess a rotation at the, the U S Olympic committee, um, training center out in Colorado. And I think they've had this program for years. Uh, and, you know, I went out there, spent two weeks and worked, you know, with the uh, Olympians or potential Olympians um, and with the, you know, sports medicine staff out there at the training center. And that was great. And what that was is that once you do that, it puts you into the pool to, you know, be selected to go to the games. Um, and after that, you know, I, I had a really good experience. Um, again, learned a lot, and you know, was able to make some some pretty good relationships there. Uh, the next year, the you know chief medical director you know reached out to me and invited me to be part of Team USA for the 2015 Pan Am Games. Um, and I damn near cried on the phone. He didn't know that, but you know, I was like <laughs> so tough, you know, to be you know be able to do that and represent our country, you know, as as a PT. So that was cool. And um, so when you go to the games. The way that sports medicine staffs work is that for every Olympic sport, there is what's called a NGB, a national governing body. Um, and some sports have a ton of money, like track and basketball, right? And then there's some sports that don't have that much money, right? Like badminton or something like that, right? And the sports that have the NGBs that have more resources, they tend to bring some of their own medical staff. Mm-hmm. And then the, the NGBs that don't have as much resources, their medical staff gets backfilled from USOC, right? So that's what we were. So when we get to the games, they assign us teams on, you know, all right, you're going to be with this team for these days and that team for those days. And then for this whole week, you'll be with that team. Um, <clears throat> so one of the teams I got assigned to was softball. So, um, and that was in my first week. Uh, so, I go out with them and you know had a great time connected with the guys and it was a lot of fun um because it was you know international games all the leadership all the brass of the ngb were at all the games so i ended up you know meeting guys and talking to them um and every sport has what they call a, a team leader like kind of the the point of contact for anybody that needs to get in contact with the team or things they need to get done the team leader for softball that year turned out to be a guy that's from Ohio. I'm from Ohio. Right? <laughs> so we connected on that. We started, you know, we, we talked a lot um, and, you know, got to know each other pretty well. And as it turned out the next year, he got voted into being the president of the NGB. Right. So like now, like just kind of on a, you know, by happenstance, I ended up having a relationship with the president of this NGB. Um, so the following year after the games, they called me back and they said, Hey, um, you know, we got some tournaments this, 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 this summer coming up. we got world championships, Olympics, things like that. Um, what's your availability? How much can you help? So I was like, I'm in. And from that point on, um, every, every year, every summer, like I did, 
I would travel with them, you know, travel the world with them and, and, and cover them through, you know, various games and tournaments. And, um, you know, and then that, that relationship has continued. Um, I haven't done much of it in the past year or two, just, you know, COVID and everything like that. Um, but, you know, definitely great people there, great relationship. And, and again, this was, I did this prior to my twins days, right? So the experience in softball definitely helped with that transition into baseball because I at least had some of that foundation as well. Right. Um, yeah, that's really awesome. You know, kind of, kind of one of the biggest themes on this podcast is networking. So obviously you networking, you know, and it ha happened to be, you know, the right person, right place, right time. Um, that obviously parlayed and obviously your hard work helped parlay that into, you know, an awesome opportunity. Um, so I want to talk about your, your clinic now, Momentous Sports Medicine. Um, so you mm -hmm. talked about how you became a realtor and a lawyer and a IT person all in one before you even saw, before you even worked as a PT for your own clinic. Uh, so kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, what inspired you to open your own, you know, practice and then uh, a little bit more about it in general. Yeah. So when I got out of uh, baseball, when I left the Twins, the the main reason for that was that I was away from my family. Like, you know, I married, I have two, two young daughters. Um, at that point in time, my younger daughter had just had just turned one. Like, she literally had her her birthday party, her first birthday party, and then the next day I left to go be with the team, All right? So um, I spent a lot of time away from my family during the time I was with the Twins and decided to move back. Um, you know, leave that and move back here to be with the family. You know, my kids were growing up and I was missing, you know, a good portion of their lives and, you know, different milestones. So that was important to me for me to be back here. But once I got back here, you know, it was off season for baseball. Um, football was in season. Basketball was in season. Um, and I didn't know what my next step was going to be. And I didn't know. I, I felt like I didn't I wasn't going to go back to baseball. So was I going to go to basketball or football or was I not going to do sports at all? Um, and with football, of course, the Super Bowl is until February, so they're not going to start hiring until months later. Um, basketball isn't over till April or June, depending on how far team goes. Um, so they're not hiring until the summertime. At this point, it's January. Right. So I'm like, all right. So if I'm going to do one of these and wait for that hiring cycle, I'm months out. So I need to do something in the meantime. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able, I took like three months and just kind of hung out, like found myself right? and, uh, you know, spent time with my kids and stuff like that. Um, but what came out of that was, okay, I could go and do a temp job and just kind of make some money in the meantime while I'm waiting for this hiring cycle. Um, but that's not guaranteed that I'm going to get right back in. Right. Um, I could just go and get a job and work for somebody, but that's kind of weird after having my own clinic and then working in pro sports to come back and then like be a staff PT. And I was like, I wasn't really feeling that. So then the other option was like, well, start a clinic. And I kind of put that idea on the back burner at first, but then as time went on, I was like, you know, I really need to do this. Um, and what really put the, what really put the, the, uh, the thing over the top, it was that, I was actually going to go the route of doing a temp job and they sent me over like 40 sheets of paper to fill out, like all, like <laughs> all this different paper. And I got like three pages in and I'm like, man, why the hell am I doing this? Like, I don't want to do this. I got to go and take a drug test. I mean, I don't do any drugs. I'm like, this is like, I have to go and do a drug test and like find somewhere, some lab to go do this. Like, I don't want to do this. So I, I, I ripped all that stuff up, man. And then right there I was like, okay, I'm starting my own company. Um, so 
the idea behind the company was that I wanted to bring together everything that I learned, all of my experiences and package it into one thing. Like I wanted to package in my Olympic sports experience, package in my pro sports experience, my business experience and, and tie that up and be able to give that to the public. Right. So that's that's how Momentus came about. And that's what Momentus is still about to this day is, is being able to give that elite level care to the weekend warrior or the high school athlete or the college athlete. And I mean, we still see, you know, a good bit of like Olympic and professional athletes in our clinic as well. But, you know, the vast majority of people are still like, you know, your high school, college or, you know, um, or your weekend warrior type athlete. And the fact that they can get the same level of care as a, as a professional athlete at our facility is is what we want to deliver. And and that's been um, we've been able to do that successfully. We've grown, um, you know, to, to operate four clinics in three states um, at this point. And, um, you know, and, and we've been rolling, man. So it's been a lot of fun and we've been able to really make good on what I wanted the vision to be. And, and we continue to try to grow it that way. Right. Um, and so you, you kind of serve the the entire gamut of populations like you said weekend warriors all the way to olympic athletes um so what's what's been i guess the hardest thing obviously networking and marketing is super important and getting people into your clinic no matter what your population is but you know you're trying to serve everyone from like the highest level to someone that wants to run a 5k how do you kind of you know market yourself or i guess network yourself to be like hey this is the place to come no matter what your skill level is um we try to get in front of different audiences. Uh, you know, my connections in pro sports have helped with like that level of athlete. And then once you start working with a couple of them, then they start word of mouth, they start sharing that of like, hey, this is where I go. So that's been helpful um, to continue to do that. You know, I still have my foot in pro sports um, a little bit with, with some in various areas. So, so that's helpful, um, but mainly, we grow our company through um, workshops and through um, like word of mouth. Um, we do a little bit of online marketing and social media marketing, but a lot of what we do is really um, is really through workshops. Like we'll do one workshop a month and uh, get in front of a running club, a different gym, a CrossFit gym, a you know a jujitsu gym, like different uh, audiences that need our services and show them what we do because our workshop isn't like sit here and listen to a talk. our workshops are interactive for 90 minutes right so by the end of it people have felt like they've kind of worked out they've seen what it is we can do we've seen how we can correct their issues and take some of their pain away and then they're like yeah i need that you know and and that has boded well for us we've been able to grow like that um and we're going to continue to scale it's just a, a, a matter of um making that uh a process that's scalable yeah right um and so one question i always like to ask our, our guests is kind of walk us through a day in the life of what it's like to be you you're seem like a really busy guy you got lots of different things going on um so kind of you know a, a typical because i'm sure your day varies um monday through friday and probably even into the weekends uh kind of walk us through what it is like a typical day in the life for you okay um well i wake up at 5 a.m i read uh and i read like a mental toughness book i i am or you know i read one of those and they change as i finish them but then i do i reflect i meditate um and then i do affirmations and then by 5 30 i'm working out um 
by seven, I am you know getting ready, getting my kids ready, and I drop them off by eight o'clock to school, or now it's the summer, so dropping them off to camp. Um, then by eight thirty, I'm at the clinic treating patients. Um, so treat patients, you know, uh, depending on the day, it could be, you know, till one, it could be till seven, depending on the day. Um, but then I'll have in the afternoon, I can have meetings. Um, I also sit on the state board of DC, um, DC physical therapy. So I'll have board meetings for that. Um, you know, I have various positions in the sports academy. So I'll have, you know, work to do for that. Like I was on a nominee committee most recently, I'm the DEI chair. So I have work to do for that as well. Um, and then meetings like networking, getting in front of, uh, you know, other companies that we feel like we can partner with or drive, uh, drive patients from. Um, and one thing that I, I want to add into my day <laughs> is think time where I can really, uh, start to, to build the company more. Um, I haven't been able to fit that in yet, but anyway, at the end of that, then, you know, get home get the kids ready for bed <laughs> and all that. And then uh, in the evening, I might have, you know, emails or calls to return that I haven't been able to get to throughout the day. Um, so I'll do that. And then, you know, spend time with the wife who by now is like already mad at me because I haven't spent time with her all day. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so that's, that's a typical day, man. So it's, it's, it's a lot of um, moving around a lot of you know, communication with a lot of people between whether it's patients or, you know, prospective, uh, you know, business partners or, or what have you. Right. Uh, so you mentioned that you were a member of the DC state board, correct? Um, kind of what's mm -hmm. your, what's your, I guess, what does that, what does that entail? So the purpose of the board is to protect the public from things that physical therapists might do to harm them is the prime, the primary purpose of the board. Um, the other roles that we have, of course, are like, you know, um, providing a license for you to practice, uh, regulating. So like if somebody does get into trouble, um, you know, how do we handle that? You know, do we need to hand down a, a punishment or, you know, do we give a warning or do we, you know, do, does it go into a full on trial or, or what have you? So there's always issues, um, around the profession that we, that we have to address. Um, but that, uh, the, the main thing that, I find for it is is that we make sure that the profession maintains the level of access that we have, and as much as we can, we push to grow that and make the profession a little bit broader and give us more accessibility and more ability in our practice act. Um, so I was for I was formerly the chair of this board, um, and I stepped down to go into baseball. And when I came back, they asked me to come back onto the board, but I, I didn't want to come back as a chair right away. So I'm currently not the chair. Um, but when I was, it was important to me to make sure that we had certain things like um, in DC, physical therapists going to order x-rays and MRIs. And, you know, that's not possible in most other places. I think Wisconsin, Colorado, um, and the military are the only places you can order imaging as a PT. Um, and in every other place they can order x-rays, but we can order MRIs here as well. And that was something that I was able to help push through um, when I was in leadership of the board. So those are, you know, the type of things, um, you know, related to our practice act that, uh, you know, that the board is, is over and responsible for. 
Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think that's that's awesome that you're you know in charge of or you know in in part of the leadership team that's kind of helping you know push the profession even further. Um, so last question for you, Tim, before we get you out of here, do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTs, uh, no matter what level of their journey or career they're in, you know, if they're in PT school, if they're thinking about getting to PT school, if they're, you know, you know, early career professionals kind of, what what piece of advice would you give to them? Um, I would say get as much experience as you can, as soon as you can. So if that means your rotations while you're in PT school, if that means, you know, volunteering your time to a local high school or local uh, local university, whether it's D1, 2, or 3, um, you know, get the experience. Uh, and, you, and you don't need to get paid for this early on. I think, you know, getting experience is the main thing and that the payment that you'll get is later on when the opportunity that you want comes up that you can then look back to, hey, well, I did this with X football team, or lacrosse team, or rugby team, and pull from that to be able to say, all right, I have experience doing this. This isn't just you pulling me out of the clinic into your sports team. So get the experience is the main thing. And then the next thing is network, network, network. Um, you hear that saying all the time of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the reality of it is it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. Because if you claim to know somebody and they don't know who you are, it does you no good. And when those opportunities come up, you want for people that know who you are to think of you and give you a call and reach out to say, hey, this came up with the set with the 76ers. Are you interested? You know, <laughs> or this came up with the Dolphins. Are you interested? Um, and when you start to have those real relationships where people reach out to you, um, then, you know, your networking has been successful. Um, and then it goes beyond just, you know, the the networking piece of it, because now you're able to share your network with other people. And I think right. that's important. That's going to be important for you as a, as a young clinician or a student to be able to, to cultivate and maintain as you go through your career, because that's where opportunities come from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, networking has been one of the biggest themes on this podcast. So, you know, I, I, I like how your point is, you know, who knows you? Because I, I can know all the people in the world, but if, you know, they don't remember who I am, then it doesn't really do me any good. So um, that's really great advice. Uh, Tim, would you like to plug anything before we get you out of here? Um, well, of course, Momentum Sports Medicine, um, you know, we continue to grow. Uh, if you have any any patients or anybody that need to get seen in the D.C. area, uh, feel free to send them our way. Um, if you're looking for a job, we might be hiring pretty soon in the sports realm. So you'll have the opportunity to work in a great facility. Um, look us up, you know, www.momentussm.com. Our Instagram is at Momentus underscore SM. Um, and uh, my email, if you want to reach out to me, is tvidal. As V I D A L E at momentussm.com. Um, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, you know, I try to be available to, you know, the young clinicians coming up to really try to help out. Um, and, you know, that's it. So, you know, we're Momentous. You can find us online or, or, or on social media. Thanks for having me on, Chase. Yeah, of course. I'll make sure I link all of that below um, so you guys can find Momentous uh, anywhere on the web. Um, and this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Huge thank to the multi-talented Tim Vidal, CEO of Momentum Sports Medicine, for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. If you liked what you heard from today's podcast and want to hear more from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.